Totally Football Show, American Edition. U.S. men's national team landed on a distant shore before being slaughtered by natives. USA plucked by the English before being carved by Italians. But what does U.S. men's national team have to be thankful for? We look at the talented youngsters who may flower in the future. Plus, we look ahead to MLS playoffs. Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Totally Football Show American Edition and happy Thanksgiving everyone. Uh, joining me again today are Canadian national player Lauren Sesselman. What's up? And City of Angels FC founder PJ Harrison. All right. Uh, we have Tim Walsh. Yeah, he's on vacation apparently today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We, we, we have to talk about it. It's been a a long, long week for some of us. As, as everyone out there, you don't know, but I'm still wearing my U.S. national team, jer- well, not jersey, but the jacket, you know, because, you know. <laughs> Let it go. It, hey, I, I, I'm telling you, a true fan is, you know, can you wear and support in the tough times, as all Evertonians know. So anyways, <laughs> we have, looking at these games, we had a 3-0 to zero defeat for the United States against England, and we had a 1-0 to zero defeat for the United States against Italy. Still trying to figure out why the U.S. played in Belgium on that one, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that at another time. And we're going to look ahead to the MLS Conference Champions, where New York Red Bulls will take on Atlanta United, in, and in the West, Sporting Kansas will face Portland Timbers. And uh, this is going to be a pretty, pretty exciting one. Um, Let's take a look again. Let's talk about this this U.S. national team. We're going to hop all the way back because this was really important for the future of soccer or football in this <laughs> country. Um, where do, where does the U.S. go from here? Because these results, not good. I understand it's a young team, but you're looking to try to get something positive out of this, right? <laughs> He's like, where the three to zero and a one to nothing. It, it, it doesn't look like it's the best future for the United States. The jerseys are nice. <laughs> <laughs> feel good about that. Uh, I, I I will always feel good. Hey, at least at least we're there. We're looking good on that front. But I mean, for the for the U.S. team, I mean, was this were, were there any positives here? Not really. I mean, you know, they watched England England reserves pass the ball around them for ninety minutes. You love saying that. The they didn't reserves. throw a tackle. Well, the first half it was really in. They just weren't competitive. The entire group and England had gears to step up. Uh, they need a new coach. 13 months now without. If I was being cynical, I might say that that's to save salary money because I don't understand why you'd leave it 13 months otherwise. Well, I mean, maybe they're still paying off Jurgen Klinsmann, you know, from <laughs> from his contract or Bruce Arena. You know, those well, that's are the football. That's every federation in the world is paying off the last guy and paying the new guy. Yeah, yeah, no, I I completely agree, but I mean, for me, I think a, a lot of these issues have to do with the fact that we do not have a, a head coach for the U.S. national team. Because we look at that team that played against England, no bite whatsoever. There was even talk from David Serkin that okay, this next game, you know, we're going to step up and play a little bit higher. Still, not a whole lot of bite, a lackluster performance in both of the games. Different 
different formations, you know, playing the 4-5-1, playing the 3-5-2. All this is because there's no coach that says, okay, we're going to play this direction. This is how we're going to play. You either fit in here or you don't. I mean, I understand that there's a lot of testing out, but we've got to get somebody, you know, making these decisions, right? This is the only sport that the U.S. is comfortable with being the underdog in. Everything else, like they send a dream team to the Olympics because they don't want to finish second. Gymnastics, track, everything, right? But when it comes to soccer, oh, the U.S. are plucky under, oh, we made it to the quarters. They've been playing the sport since at least the 20s. It's not new. They have, all right, maybe in terms of elite nations, Germany, Spain, maybe England, they're behind a little. But in terms of resources, they have the people, they have the population, they have the money. Kids in Europe can't play soccer half the year because the fields are too muddy or cold or whatever. You have a nation like Iceland that could fit many times over in Los Angeles alone, building like enormous hangars to put soccer pitches in. And then you see the legacy of that now. They're competing on a regular basis internationally. US has all of these things at their disposal. Why are they constantly underachieving? Because that's what it is. It's underachievement. I, I think it's because there is no um, no one really saying, okay, holding their feet to the fire, the, the powers that be, the decision makers. That's what it comes down to. Until you also have, you can have all the resources, you can have the talented players, but until you have the press, you know, getting behind it and saying, why did we lose this? And it is on, you know, it's on SportsCenter, it's on Fox, it's the top story every single day and people are being called to account. It's, it's not going to change because you can get away with it. Done. Like, you know, the Icelandic press isn't putting pressure on them to succeed. You know, that's coming yeah. from an intrinsic motivation to change and improve. And I think U.S. soccer has to take the lead in establishing that as the, the standard. It's the intrinsic motivation, but it's also the only sport. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's one. You have a variety of other things where if soccer does or football does not get that notoriety where it's in front of the masses every single day in the United States. It's like, okay, well, I'm just going to pay attention to the NFL. I'm going to pay attention to the NBA. I'm going to pay attention to the NHL. I'm going to pay attention to tennis. I'm going to pay attention to all the Olympic sports. There's so many other things to do that there needs to be a push, you know, from the media to make sure that it stays front and center because it's very easy to forget. But when a team in any sport curl in during the Winter Olympics, it can catch somebody's imagination when you perform well and you're telling a story and the story is not necessarily success, but effort and, and something about that. So when the USA played Belgium in the, uh, the, the previous World Cup and they had that great extra time, uh, you know, Tim Howard became a hero, that captured the imagination, right? So it's down to the, the, the federation to make more of those moments to have the team being competitive because even though this is the, okay, almost certain demographics, the second sport against older people, maybe the third or fourth sport, there's still way more than enough people to, to have an interest in the sport overall when you compare it to Italy, England, Germany. You know, the population here alone means that even if you're the third, you've still got more than enough attention to be getting out there. Yeah, I understand that there's, there's moments. There's always going to be moments. Every World Cup, you know, be it we make it or we don't, there's going to be attention on this sport, right? I mean, there's going to be attention there. But we have short memories and, and things can over overpower the last story within a week and what i'm saying is that we are lacking in a press that is continuously saying 
week in, week out, what's going on. Because if that's there, then all of a sudden that pressure comes and those changes are are forced to happen. Look at when we didn't make the World Cup. Look at the press continuously harped, harped, harped. And then there are changes at the very top, you know. And But now it's like, okay, can we continue that push? Can we see what's going to be next? Can we get some type of coaching change in here? That I, I, I know there's going to be a coaching change, but I think there needs to be a decision. Something needs to happen. I mean, there's a lot of talk of who's coming in for Dave Sarek and you know, who's going to be uh, that next head coach. And, and in my opinion, they allowed Tata Martino to escape under their nose to the rival Mexico. The guys in this league, he's, you know... They have a phone call away from him. I think I think that was an oversight. Maybe they got outplayed. We don't know. Did they make a move for that guy? What is the succession plan in here? They rejected the former Spain and Real Madrid coach, Julian Lepetecki. Why do you guys think that they rejected them? Do you think it's too far in the process? With I don't know. Coach? What's the process? What is the process apart from sitting in a room, talking to people, interviewing them? How are you too far in that process? Well, th- th- that's, the, that's the issue. You look at Lopetegui's career up until the debacle of what's happened mm-hmm. you know, with Spain and Real Madrid. If he had said, uh, you know, I want to be the national team coach for the United States, I think they would have jumped all over it. And the only, you can't be too far in this process and to not consider Lopetegui. I mean, he, he, has, he has everything that you want you know, in a head coach. So I'm not exactly sure what U.S. soccer is doing there. The only way, the only way that they could be too far in the process not to consider Lopetegui is that they have hired a head coach already, but they haven't told us about it. That's the only way that I could think as far as the soccer world, the soccer community, soccer knowledge, that, that's the only excuse that would be somewhat acceptable to me. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's the case? I think so. I mean, look, I mean, we're talking about for over a year now, who's going to be this next coach. I think they've, they might have made a decision already trying to see maybe the player is still in the MLS playoffs. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, Columbus is out. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe they're just waiting to announce who that new uh, head coach is. Well, had they done that, I mean, they still had, this is 13 months. They had until, what, over a year ago when that guy was available to an next, you know, we're talking about you know Greg Berhalter for all yeah. those out there that don't know the, the head coach of Columbus Crew. So why allow the team to why allow the national team to go so long when when you could have made that move a year ago? I think it's a mistake. I think you you need to make that decision much sooner because we're in a we're in a process. Everyone thinks the World Cup is every four years. No, that qualifying process you know starts about two years out here in Concacaf. So um, there's whoever comes in as this head coach is going to have to have a quick timetable to get things going because we saw that there's still a lot to do. Even players, you know, even some of the young players, when you talk about Pulisic, they're talking about it right now. They want to coach in, Mm -hmm. you know, they want somebody in to give them direction, give them a style of play and what they want to do. I still don't understand why we have to go to uh, three, five, two, four, five, one, all three, six, one, all these different formations. When, I think when you're starting new and fresh, you should start with a 442. Now, this mm-hmm. is going to be the discussion of, you know, any coach and his decisions, but you got a bunch of new guys and you're trying them out, just go in a 442. It's the simplest thing, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, out there. Usually when you play the kids, cuz this was the youngest starting lineup I think ever for the US. Yeah, yeah about the modern era, yeah. You play attacking football and you let them go and you see what's the worst that can happen. They lose 3-0 but they're attacking, right? But setting up with essentially five at the back 
against a, a canny team. All right, not a great Italy team, but it's in their DNA to be smart and canny and they'll pull you out of shape and they just parked up on the edge of the box and, okay, it took to the 94th minute before they scored, but it was inevitable. Like, yeah. that goal was coming and it was deserved. Yeah, well, I, I mean... They scored. It doesn't matter when you do it, yeah. <laughs> as long as long as you do it, and the end result tells it all. Um, with that being said, which players? Where's their Where's their hope? Which players, young players in there, you you think stepped up and showed for Sarakin, showed for the fans, and showed for whoever the potential new head coach is? I mean, uh, definitely Pulisic. Yeah. And Tyler Adams, you know, stepping up. I think, I mean, just seeing Pulisic in the first game against England, I mean, that guy's a workhorse. You mm -hmm. know, he's everywhere on the field. And, you know, I love Tyler Adams. I love watching him play for the Red Bulls. And I think that he's emerging as a huge part of this program. Yeah, I, I didn't see it. And I'm not blaming the players for this because I think that a lot's to do with the uh, uncertainty around the coaching uh, it's a weird time for a lot of them to be going into an international break to play friendlies when they're in the middle of the, you know, some of them are still in the middle of the MLS uh, playoff action. So I, I think that this would be hard to judge the young players on the merits from, the, you know, with this coach in this moment of the thing. But yeah, they've whenever you break into the team, you have to take your chance, I guess. So Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. I, I don't judge the players so much as far as the total result. I look at these players like, okay, is there some individual talent there that I've seen that says, okay, they can step up and they can contribute and be one of those players, you know, for going forward. And for me, the ones that I pulled out, you know, I saw, I thought Trapp did a halfway mm -hmm. decent do job, like you said, Pulisic in there, Tyler Adams, uh, Weston McKinney, I think has been good. One thing that stands out for me for all the ones that I pulled out, it's central. <laughs> it's right mm -hmm. down the spine of the team. Uh, I, I, it almost tells me that this is the area. This is the area where the U.S. needed, I think, some help, and I think they will get that in the future that's where the, the U.S. can kind of build the spine and be successful um, in the future. And on that question, because there's some players in there <laughs> that, uh, that have been there for quite some time, says you had a question from Twitter or in that general vein? Um, yeah, we were just discussing whether the U.S. men's national team should look to the veterans, and if so, in what positions? So there's this the talk between the veterans and having these younger players coming in and what you guys feel about that. I mean, this is something that comes up every time that a team's going through a bad mm -hmm. moment, a national team. You know, there's one reaction one way. Oh, we got to get rid of all the old guys and bring new blood in. And then when they're struggling, well, we got to bring the veterans mm -hmm. in. For me, it should always be a blend. And, uh, you know, if, if a guy's on fire and he happens to be 32, he should probably be in the team, right? Until somebody displaces him. I mean, Kobe, you're, you, you've been the young thing and, you know, forgive me, the old thing. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's a, that means it was a good career. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with you. But, but for me, one, to, to take your statement, if someone's on fire and usually you, you never really think of as far as positions, right? You never really think of like, okay, on fire, it's a, it's a holding midfielder, you know, <laughs> on fire, it's the outside back, yeah. you know, you think of, okay, it's a striker, mm -hmm. you know, or it's a central defender or goalkeeper, you know, that just, you know, defenders winning all the balls in the air, or it's the striker that's putting the ball in, in the back of the net. You know, for me, I think if you're look, bringing in some of the older players and we're talking about, uh, well, 
Michael Bradley, for example, in that central position, if we're talking uh, about him specifically, do you bring him into that position where he's just a solid player that just sits in, in, sits in the middle, but you have to give extra support around? Because he's not going to be – I'm sorry, it's just the nature of it. He can't cover as much ground as he used to. I think you bring in a striker. You know, someone that can maybe hold up the ball and allow others to join into the attack. Because the name of this game is scoring goals. Yeah. At some point, you got to score goals. So if it is a Josie Altidore, I know a lot of people don't like it, but he can hold up the ball. Mm-hmm. That's one important thing. He can put the ball in the back of the net if he gets that opportunity. Do you bring in a, a veteran goalkeeper? That would that would be the situation. I mean, funny to say it, but Guzan is like that veteran now at 34 years old. You know, is he the one, you know, in there? But for me... I would want bite and grit and a willingness to compete day in, day out in the central areas in the spine of my team. Mm-hmm. My veteran leadership is coming through the maybe someone in the back in the center back position in there or up top. Mm-hmm. I, I think we, we, we need, to be blunt, more energy. No, I was going to say just adding to that, you know, especially being a defender, I – I love having a veteran player in in the back line just because they are the leaders. They see everything on the field. You know, they're telling everybody what to do. And I think that that's really important. And with the U.S. national team, they don't really have that right now. You know, they looked very disjointed in the back They're you know, versus England. This is the first time all four of those guys played together, Um, which is great. You know, it's great, you know, having all these younger players coming in. But I think having a veteran player helping them um, is big. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I'm throwing another one in, in, into that central midfield, Kellen Acosta, too. Mm-hmm. When we talk about the set pieces, you know, he was excellent. He put a great ball in in Italy, you know, in, that Italian, in the Italian match. So, uh, yeah, for me, I, I, I've always questioned we need that central area, I think, shored up a little bit more. So I'm just, I'm just dumping more in the middle. My, my apologies over there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, that's going to do it for part one. We'll be back in a moment looking ahead to the MLS Conference Finals. Ah, exciting. For sales and advertising, please contact Muddy Knees Media at hello at muddykneesmedia.com. Now, back to the show. All right. Welcome back to the Totally Football Show American Edition. Now, something more exciting. MLS Conference Championships. This is the most exciting time of the year. This is when the best teams finally meet up. These are the big ballers. This is what we have in the Western Conference. Okay. Portland hosting Sporting Kansas City. Sunday, November 25th, 4.30 p.m. West Coast time, 7.30 on the East Coast. You know, pay attention to that. Um, This is going to be a good one. I I really like how both of these teams are playing. Um, Portland is actually hosting Sporting Kansas City, yes, not Seattle, Portland. If you all remember, I was the only one that picked that up. Portland <laughs> would be going through. Everyone else here thought that Seattle was going to win and go through. But I, I was right. I like the way that this team has been playing. It's going to be very defensive. Uh, I think a defensive structure for Portland as they receive a lot of pressure from Sporting Kansas City. Remember, it's going to be a, a game on a turf field, which is going to be interesting to see how the Kansas City players deal with it. But also... Portland has done an excellent job of absorbing pressure and then breaking out. And my fan favorite and yours, Diego Valeri, has been absolutely fantastic. So that's the player that Sporting Kansas City is going to try to shut down. In totality, though, giving you know, a little devil's advocate, Sporting Kansas City, 
what a team that Peter Vermes has put together as far as the total team effort. I think they've been excellent where you can't say that there's just one player that's, that steps out for them. I think they've had multiple players come forward and just really do amazing things for them all the way, all the way around. So that's going to be the, the exciting game to watch. And, you know, if you look at these teams, the one that goes through to the final, I think between those two in the Western Conference have the better total team in what we're looking at in the Eastern Conference Championship. And that's where we have Atlanta United hosting Red Bull New York, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. Very interesting. A lot of talk right now. Who's the favored team? Uh, a lot of talk that uh, you know Atlanta United, surprise, surprise, is the underdog. Mm-hmm. You know, Now, look, they're going to be hosting at home I, you know what I'm crowd. interested? That's what I was about to say. With the, with the crowd there, I'm interested to see if they break another record. Mm-hmm. If they get over 70,000 plus for this match against Red Bull New York. And, and, and what's great about it is this is number one and number two as far as points in the regular season ever. Ever. I mean, they were jumped through. They were, Red Bull was chasing Atlanta and then finally beat them in the last, the, the last ditch efforts of the season to go and get that record as far as most points ever in the season. So this is going to be exciting when Chris Armas' Red Bull New York goes against Tata Martino's, uh, you know, Atlanta United. And It's well, an interesting time in, in the cycles of these teams too, right? Because you have Red Bulls never quite get there and Atlanta are about to lose the coach and, and it seems like Almiron's going to go too. So for both of these clubs and, and so early into the life of Atlanta, to be already at that moment of like, well, either win it now or potentially go into the wilderness for a few years. A lot of pressure on both teams, really. Well, I think that goes for both. You win it now or there's going to be major issues. I mean, you look at Atlanta United, you know, what do you have there? Coach of the year. You have two potential MVP candidates on on that team. And then all that's going to be split up and gone. Lord knows what's going to happen in Atlanta after this. You know, Red Bull New York, it, it's always the bridesmaid, right? It, that's been their situation over the years. Can they finally do it? Can Chris Armas take them over the hump? And I'm, I'm looking at this at some point. If the, it's a new coach that has come in midway through the season, if they do not get it this time, I think that new coach needs to break things up a little bit and change it up. Mm-hmm. You know, if you continue along the same path, you know, after year, after year, after year, you got to got to move on right yeah yeah so anyways this is it's exciting times we're talking about these conference championships all right so moving on here there while we are talking no all right what another interesting subject that has come up while we're talking about the mls playoffs is how this format is going to go into the is is going to look in the future um and pj turn off your phone so <laughs> if anyone heard that buzz, you know, PJ didn't get the message. Turn off. No, you can't even have it buzzing anywhere. All right. But anyways, how is MLS going to look into the future? There's been a lot of talk about changing things up. Right. I mean, there's, they're talking about shortening the league uh, about a month, you know, mm-hmm. before that FIFA international break that is in early November, uh, early to mid-November. I mean, how, how are you going to do this? I mean, the, the only route I can see off the top of my head is, is maybe starting a little bit sooner. PJ, you have some info on this? Yeah, the phone was uh, Lupitagi asking me if I've got a job. <laughs> for I'm sorry. Yeah, well, so there have been various reports about this. Our friend Stu Holden uh, suggested this as well uh, a couple of weeks back. Um, so the, the suggestion is that the MLS Cup playoffs would end by early to mid-November. 
the, the regular season would end about a month before that. And uh, it, I think the, the casualty of this, if you can call it a casualty, is probably the international friendly break. That, to me, makes sense. Like, come out of the excitement of the playoffs to go play internationals and players get injured and, mm-hmm. you know. But I wonder what the motivation is behind it because for this significance of a shift to happen, there's got to be something monetarily involved. My instinct would be it's maybe to accommodate the Qatar World Cup in, in winter. We're seeing schedules being changed around the world to make space for that. Well, that that, that could be a possibility with it. I, I know as well that they are talking about making it a single elimination mm-hmm. playoff as well. Now, that that intrigues me. That intrigues me because that also makes where you stand at the end of the season within the regular season much more important you know because there's, there's always a little bit of talk well look at portland for example we get into the playoffs okay anything can happen but if it's a one-off and you've got to travel to that home side that makes it much more difficult so you know you have a, a situation where savarese says okay i'm not going to play my starters in the last game i don't care if we come in fourth or fifth mm-hmm. you know now all of a sudden it matters because it's one game and you could be traveling away instead of hosting at home yeah and playing on and, turf or and, all of those variables yeah, yeah and and ownership saying hey we want the money of having a home <laughs> hosting you know so those are those are some of the issues um you mentioned as far as you know other reasons behind it i mean what are some of those other reasons you know if you is it monetary you know, what What does it give you by shortening the league? I know that we're talking about World Cup and maybe, I mean, are, are you saying after that World Cup is done that they're going to shift right back? Well, we don't know, but in Europe, calendars are already being tailored to accommodate that. Leagues are kicking off a week earlier, another week earlier. It's whatever happens, that World Cup's going to mess everything up. MLS is a little better placed because of the way their calendar runs, but the whole rest of the world's in... It's that's yeah. just going to be a strange thing. So, I, for me, I, I'm kind of wondering if you're putting in more midweek games to accommodate this, mm-hmm. how that's going to affect attendances, how or that's going to affect the players. The players, yeah, that's what I. That's my concern. So that's the, a lot. The, the, there may be a bit of a dip in the overall quality of the MLS products with this, but the, I think the playoffs may get more exciting. Well, I think the playoffs will definitely be more exciting if it's one off. I think. Look, if I'm in this situation, I'm voting to. Okay, we have to go before that break. Then and we're having one game off. So I think we start a little bit sooner. Maybe it's not a whole month sooner, mm-hmm. but maybe it's a week or two weeks sooner. That maybe that takes out instead of six midseason games. Games you get uh, five. You know, that would be much better. I think for teams all around. And also, let's not forget if you end before November within the for, for uh, the playoffs and all this, all of a sudden, I think there's much more teams that can host the or would be. Right more preferable to host that mls cup because let's let's not forget toronto hosting <laughs> the one way back in the day that wasn't the most enjoyable i think that there i think mls wants to see also a better product visually all the way around you know for the finals and 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 the playoffs instead of freezing cold weather and oh making yeah. it difficult i was in toronto at, at that yeah i saw a brass monkey crying at the end of the show <laughs> it was just, it was so <laughs> but okay so the possibilities are there. We've seen it. I'll be interested to see what happens in the, the league meetings that happen after the end of season. That should be in December sometime, so we'll get a good idea. Um, Just being put, uh, purely speculative, we've seen the impact in Europe of the uh, Nations League. I wonder if there's been a discussion about emulating that with the Americas. 
I'm sure there's been some type of discussion. I'm just, you know, trying to explain the Nations League and and if CONCACAF and whatever tries to do this as well, it's Mm -hmm. just... It, it's complicated, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know those movies where a detective's like mapping out a murder plot and it's like, why is that's what you need to explain the Nations League? That's the problem. That's the problem. When it, when you have to have a whiteboard and you got to try to explain <laughs> it that way, it's just, it's just too difficult. They've got to find a much easier way to have this all going. All right, Sess, there's been something under the radar that's happened over the last week, and it's an interesting one in the <laughs> women's game. Yeah, finally, after a lot of years, the NWSL is finally recognizing the Players Association. So when I was playing back in the day in the WPS, which was the league before the NWSL, we did start to have a union, but it was never recognized. And then the league folded. So now we have the NWSL and headed up by President Yala Everbush, Mm -hmm. um, who I had the opportunity to play with. um, And she's really trying to help you know, these, these players, you know, and I think it's, I think it's phenomenal that the NWSL is finally recognizing this. I mean, yell, they tried to put this together May, 2017 is when they put it together. And now it's taken this amount of time for them to actually, the league to actually recognize it. A year and a half for record, not, not for acceptance of terms, for recognition that you exist. Yeah. Just that we exist. You know, they just didn't want to, know that we were there you know they they didn't want to hear what we were trying to say what the players were trying to say so them recognizing is a huge step for the women's game um in the development of it so i know we're going to try to get yell on here to kind of dive Mm -hmm. further into that but as as a former player um this is phenomenal i mean the things that these players have to endure that the masses you know the people fans don't really know about but we talked about a little bit a lot of that was in the media was sky blue and the living conditions the playing conditions it's just it's not acceptable and that's if we're going to grow the women's game we have to be treated like professionals and, and what, I think, what's not acceptable is the fact that you're being made promises that are being broken yeah i mean you're being misled about your terms of employment yeah there's always promises that are being broken the living conditions you know you're going to be living in a house you get your own room you show up there's six girls living in you know in the living room that's incredible you know like one time i slept on an air mattress for two months it's you not know. great for a professional athlete no you know and I, it's just, it's horrible. So they need to change these things, you know, to see a brighter future and then more players, you know, we'll be getting better players into our league and then WSL will be the best league. It's in the interest of, of, of the league to have a functioning union mm-hmm. because although there will be inevitably conflicts and, and they'll be put under pressure to improve the terms, the overall quality of the products will improve if oh, the players definitely. are happier and better cared for. I think the challenge not knowing the agenda of, of mm-hmm. the union, but I could take a guess at what those um, next steps may be. The challenge w- with any union is having the political and financial weight to apply pressure to the governing body. So that's a step they have to make. And and again, that's something that is going to benefit the game by creating more stars of the female game. And then those stars can use their power to not only improve terms for themselves and their, and their um, colleagues, but to just improve the league as a product overall. So I think it's a necessary step that should be uh, embraced actually by the league to, you know, this isn't Amazon. We're not mm-hmm. you're not dealing with people who are going to be replaced by robots and being paid minimum wage and not cared for. You know, these are professional athletes whose bodies to function in this job need to be looked after. Yeah, so I think it's going to be exciting, you know, when we get a chat with y'all to dive further into that. But I'm just 
I'm excited for the future. This this makes me excited and all for the league for for stepping up and finally acknowledging this. I mean, there's a long way to go, but you know, it's a step in the right direction. And what I think it's great about Yell, she kind of sees both sides of the story because she was in the national team program, so she kind of sees that world and then she is now like outside of the national team program, so she kind of sees the girls that are that mm. are just kind of hanging out so there. So she's that, been on both sides aren't, of the fence. Yeah, that aren't in the federations and they're getting treat treated completely different that people don't even know about. So um, I think it's really important to have her voice and you have McCall Zerboni and Emily Mingus who mm-hmm. are phenomenal players as well stepping up. So um, I'm excited to chat with yeah, her. Good news. Now, Kobe, uh, is, is it analogous between where this is at now and in the early days of MLS where the men's organization was? Yes, very very similar um, just with, with the situations. At the beginning of MLS, there was no um, union or, or players association. It took quite a while to get that into effect. And even when it was in effect, there was no power you know, whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You ha- you didn't have a whole lot supporting it. And it took time and time again of having negotiations with the league to finally get into a position where you could make some type of demands. And by demand, I, I, I mean the smallest stuff. Can we raise the, the minimum wage to 26000 instead of 25000 But th- that, as minimal as that seems, that's those are the type of things that happen in those first years. And that's the difference year. between buying you groceries and not. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, exactly. Definitely. For when you... Uh, it, it, it's it's getting a little bit more each collective bargaining agreement. It's not going to happen, you know, overnight, but it needs to start happening, and that's what that's what we're seeing now. And and I know it's a shock to a lot of people, but when you have someone that's on a salary of where, where, we're, where we're talking fifteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and you're living in a place with six other people, or or or, or four or whatever. That thousand dollars is is massive, and let's not forget the taxes that get taken out, mm-hmm. all the issues that you have to deal with. These are all the things that why you need a players association to step up. My 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 interest really falls in why it took so long, a year and a half or a year plus, to actually recognize it, and what changed over this time. I I have to wonder: is it part of the current climate now? And I, and I, well, all they've done is recognize. There's yes. been no acceptance of terms. It's we just acknowledge that you mm-hmm. exist. Well, that's that's important. I mean, it's important, but it it's hardly a giant leap, right? Like it's you know, if that's the concession that the league is making at this point, okay, we acknowledge you. That needs to be better. And the men's team, okay, you're trailblazing professional soccer in the U.S. It's going to take a while, but the gears have been gone through. The, the method is established. It should be much quicker for the women's game to go through this stage of its development and catch up to where that's at. Well, we, we'd like to see that. And let let me put this out there. I, but, but by this is important. I don't mean it's important for the league standards. I mean it's important for the Players Association to have that recognition. Yeah. Because now that they have that recognition, all of a sudden that opens up a whole lot of other things that they can talk to companies outside saying, yes, we have recognition from the leagues and this could possibly help players mm-hmm. you know, in the future. And you, we'd like to see... You know, some of those first steps that I saw, you know, well, are starting to see in the MLS. And this tells you how long it takes for some of these things. And it goes to what you said, PJ, that hopefully it happens sooner. But some of the steps of, you know, career beyond mm-hmm. the game. I well, mean, and there's are still guys in MLS who are just about making ends meet financially. Oh, definitely. So definitely. even even this far into that process, that's still an issue for the men's game too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 20 years, 20 plus years. And it's, and it's still... Still going. Uh, wow, well, that looks like we could continue discussing this for about uh, another two, three, four, five hours, days, weeks um, as we go forward. But 
that's going to do it for us for episode six. I'd like to thank Sess, who you can find on Instagram, at L. Sesselman. Thank you. You can also find PJ at Harry Vision. Yeah, I'm going to post uh, screen grabs of our group chat from the U.S. against <laughs> England national game. So. Uh, I, 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 it just goes over and over in my mind, that Lingard goal. Okay. Lots, lots of gifts. <laughs> and a reminder, you can follow myself at Kobe Jones 13 and the show at Totally American on Instagram and at TFS American on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again on Wednesday. We'll be smack bang in the middle of the MLS Conference Finals. Good times. Woohoo!